So I just finished eating some really good tacos, <laughs> not prepared by Daryl. Prepared. <laughs> Would they have been any good if they were prepared by uh, Daryl? <laughs> I'm very intimidated uh, by cooking. Okay. Um, uh, I would never be able to live up to her, so. Less, oh. <laughs> less intimidated by preaching in front of thousands than the kitchen. Correct. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. I'm Jaden. And I'll be one of a few people accompanying you throughout this episode as we explore the topic of faithfulness as pastors today. Let me give you the heart of this episode in a nutshell. None of us are unaware of the amount of pastors falling around us, whether it's to adultery, to heresy, to money, to the abuse of power, or just to burnout, we're seeing pastors fall everywhere. And I don't know about you, but for me, it feels like I only forget about one leader falling because another one comes into the light shortly after, but the list keeps growing. In fact, a friend of mine was recently on sabbatical and one of the first questions they asked when they got back was who else fell? Almost as if to say that there's this expectation forming. And this kind of news surfacing over and over again is especially painful for those families affected, for the church affected, for the victims in some cases. I think it's also painful for pastors to hear as well. I've seen this kind of news create a breeding ground for insecurity and fear in pastors, especially as of late. People at different stages of church leadership asking, if so-and-so can't make it, how can I? And then right alongside that stream of news and the feelings that come with it, there's this belief that we're hearing expressed in different ways across Canada. And it's a belief that we're only becoming increasingly convinced of. And the belief is this. There are more faithful pastors in Canada than unfaithful ones. In other words, for every pastor who falls, there are a hundred pastors or whatever the figure might be who are found standing, serving, shepherding faithfully. And some of these pastors have been doing this for decades and decades. So we felt like there was a real opportunity in this time to highlight these kinds of pastors. And in doing so, we could hold up their example too and maybe gather some imagination for what it might look like for us to follow in their footsteps. So for this episode, we sat at the dinner tables, coffee tables, Zoom rooms of a range of different pastors, some who are in the early to mid stages of working out their pastoral calling, and others who are 35, 45, 50 plus years into that journey. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Helen Burns, founding pastor of Relate Church here in BC, Murray Colin, Pastor Emeritus of Gospel Center Pentecostal Church in Edmonton, Alberta. Jeremiah Niangor, Youth Pastor at First Assembly in Calgary, Alberta. I also sat down for a sort of dinner recording with Daryl and Sharon Johnson here in Vancouver. You heard that earlier. The two of them have been leading and serving the church for over 50 years together. And we also put Jason in the interviewee chair for a change and peppered him with some questions as well. So five pastors, five interviews, all circling around the same topic, faithfulness. What does it mean? Why does it matter? What does it look like? How can we cultivate it? Here is what we discovered. Today's episode is made possible by our friends at the Canadian Bible Society. We wanna highlight a resource they developed called the Bible Course, a course that was created to help the average person engage with God's word in a deeper way. 
The Bible course includes eight weeks of video teaching that are all designed to connect the events, books, and characters of scripture together into one big story. This course can easily be run in small groups and even as a great follow-up to something like Alpha if you're currently running that. To check out the first video for free and to learn more about the course, just head to biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse and you'll find all you need. That's biblesociety.ca slash thebiblecourse. I think one of the main reasons though is people aren't making it. Like we're not going the distance. Um, we're trying to do too much too fast and as a result, burning out or blowing up our ministries. This is Jason sharing on why he thinks this type of conversation is important. Faithfulness is like a kingdom way. Like some things don't make sense in a sh- for short-term results. They only make sense played out over a long period of time. And so many things we do as pastors only make sense in the kingdom of God and the long-term view of how he works his kingdom. And faithfulness is a kingdom thing but it's not always like best ROI or best productivity in the moment. I also think we have to talk about it because I think sometimes when we do ministry based off of maybe short-term results or whatever it takes to pull off the next thing, I think the kinds of disciples we end up forming in our, in ourselves and our staff and our teams or volunteers in our church, um, they're not formed and they're not like Jesus. We, we, Faithfulness is the way of Jesus. And if we expedite everything for the biggest results in the short term, we end up forming the wrong kind of disciple. And then we find ourselves 10, 15 years down the road, not having done the very thing we're meant to do, which is to help people become more and more like Jesus. One question we asked each of the pastors that we interviewed was if they felt like they had good examples of faithful disciples and pastors around them people to emulate, aspire to be like. And it became clear really quickly that faithfulness, it's everywhere. This idea that there are more faithful pastors than unfaithful ones seemed to resonate deeply for the people that we interviewed. Let's start with what Helen and Jeremiah had to say about this. I'm Helen Burns. I'm currently in Surrey, British Columbia, and I have been pastoring for over 36 years. I look at like someone like my grandfather, who I only met a few times in my life, but he in a very different, they were refugees. It landed in South America and Paraguay, South America, after having escaped Russia as Mennonites fleeing with their lives. And he became the pastor of that little community in Paraguay all those many years ago. And I would say one of the greatest treasures that I have now, you can make me emotional, but is his Bible. And it's actually written in in old Gothic German, but in there is, you know, his writing, my name is in there. He prayed for me. He was one who stayed faithful to the call of God on his life. I am from a generation of of faithful Jesus followers. Both my parents are amazing. Um, I One of my heroes is a pastor that took John and I into their um, into his care in, in a church in Williams Lake. His name is John Balser. When John and I were very broken, um, going through a pretty challenging time early in our marriage, we showed up at Caribou Bethel Church in Williams Lake, and there was John Balser who didn't... Um, 
question everything that I did because I had kind of been the bad girl, married the Catholic boy, um, not done everything according to protocol. My church didn't know what to do with me. The one I grew up in, John's church certainly didn't know what to do with us, but he took John and I under his wings and that beautiful community let us. And I look at someone like a John Balzer who has been faithful to his calling all of his, you know, his days, he's well into his eighties now, but, um, he didn't, he just welcomed us and asked us to lead a youth group and asked us to lead a Bible study. Like who would ask John and I, but somebody who truly believed in us, I would say he carved out the pathway for us. I would say for me as a leader, there's nothing I admire more and want to emulate more than just staying faithful to the call of God. Those that have finished well, many are in eternity today have been my greatest motivation for not messing it up while I'm here. I just want to finish well. I want my grandchildren, and I have a grandson getting married next, well, this month, later this month. Um, and there will very likely be another group of Burnses being born into the world. And I, I think about them. I want to leave a legacy that, is let my children tell their children and their children's children that Jesus was the most important thing to me. I wanted to ask Jeremiah from First Assembly Church in Calgary the exact same question. What examples of faithful pastors has he had in his life? I loved his response. This one was super easy, bro. I thought of actually my youth pastor. Um, His name was Tim Mason. I think he's the perfect example in my life because, or one of them, I should say, um, like a few years as I was a part of the youth ministry, um, they, him and his wife, they have five kids now, but they lost their one-year-old. Um, and this is the thing, like, as I continue to look backwards, I think about that situation and I, I don't remember ever a moment, obviously, like there was, I can only imagine how much grief and frustration and pain, but I never saw him or heard him once waver in his faith. Like to the point, like now when I think about it, I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, how are you not remotely bitter or angry? Cause the guy, him and his wife serve faithfully, like without a doubt, like it, it, it would have been the worst person that that could happen to Not that anybody should deserve that, but like, it was one of those situations like, God, really? Like, why? Why them? Like, the people that, you know, love the hardest, give the most, serve the most. Like, if, if there was any anyone that you could have saved, that, that would have made a lot of sense. Like, all those questions yeah. I'm sure we could come up with. But not once. Like, people would, I think people, I heard more people projecting, you know, those thoughts on him and his wife. And it was just like... Not like, oh, God is good all the time. I'm blessed and highly favored type beat. No, like genuine, like complete security and trust. And I'm sure obviously there was tension, but like it was so authentic just being like, no, we trust him and we love him. And if it's not for him, I wouldn't even be able to make it through this. And I'm like, wow, that's like, that's definitely marked me wow. in my heart when I think of people that are faithful. For every pastor who falls, there are many unsung faithful pastors like Tim in Jeremiah's life or John in Helen's story, doing meaningful and effective pastoral work wherever they are, setting the example. 
Murray, who we're going to introduce in just a moment, breezing past it almost, like without going into detail, mentioned how his own father pastored with integrity his entire life, and that he's still involved in his local church at the age of 91. Now, before we go any further, we do want to make sure this word faithfulness isn't misunderstood. Well, actually, Daryl Johnson, right before we hit record, is the one who wanted to make sure of that. Daryl, you mentioned earlier that you didn't want faithfulness to be misunderstood as something. Can you share a bit about that? Didn't want faithfulness to be um, confused as perfection in walking with the Lord. It'd be nice. That's what we want. And we were perfectly faithful. We trusted him all the time. And in our trusting, we obeyed him all the time. That's not true for me anyway. Um, and, um, but the faithfulness I think comes is when you know you have messed up, when you know you didn't trust, when you know you have stepped over a line, when you know you chose an inappropriate way of finding comfort or, um, you, you said some harsh things to people. The faithfulness is, okay, turn back and look in his face and say, I'm sorry, or I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still frail, um, forgive me, and, and he does. In my case, I think I hear him say, I, I knew, I, I knew who I called. This doesn't surprise me. And you've come back. Here's Jason sharing a bit more on what faithfulness means to him as a pastor. I think faithfulness for me as a pastor is... It means having a, like integrity, not perfection, but integrity. You know, what I preach and what I live, there's some harmony there. It means being clear on some of the things that I'm called to do as a pastor, like care for people, love people, pray for the city, pray for my people. And resolving to do those things regardless of the pressure, uh, regardless of the demands for my time regardless of anyone sees or knows. And the faithfulness is being able to come to the end of a work week or a work month or a year and saying, God, I don't know if I delivered on people's ex- expectations, but I believe to the best I could, I was living into what you've called me to. And I think for me, that's what faithfulness is about. It's like that wrestle of that gap between what I know God longs for us to be and to do and the pressures around us. Sometimes, um, I give in to the pressures around us to be more impressive or to be more spectacular, um, to build events but not build people or whatever it might be. I think faithfulness is the like the day on day returning to the main thing, and it's also saying no now so I can say yes for a long time to the most important thing. So I think faithfulness often looks like uh, not doing all I could now so that I could find myself continuing to do the main things God's called me to for a long period of time. I think practically for me as a husband and dad and a friend, I think faithfulness is also being willing to live a whole life, even outside of the ministry that has integrity, um, even if that means, again, less productivity or impact in the things that are on display for others for the sake of the integrity of doing the things that I think our most important long-term, which is those closest relationships. Now, perhaps the best description of faithfulness came from Sharon Johnson. 
After we took a really quick break, she put some homemade dessert in front of us and she shared her thoughts. I was going to say, when you first talked to me about how does someone in leadership remain faithful in their ministry, first thing I thought of, you don't think about being faithful in your ministry or to a ministry. You're faithful to God. You're to a person. It's all about a person. And I think that's why the marriage image is so strong and reflective. You know, it's of that because it's really to God, our relationship with him. It's a person. If we keep him in mind, then the, the fruit will be born of faithfulness. We don't have to worry about, oh, are we going to make it or not a ministry? Are we going to be faithful? If we're faithful to him, he will lead us down that path. But if we lose sight of being in a relationship with a person, we won't make it. Then it becomes performance. Right. And, and it's all about us and how successful we are. We'll say, oh, were we successful in ministry? That's different than being faithful. Now, when I first asked Sharon if she'd be up for talking about this theme with Daryl, she said that I phrased it as faithfulness to ministry, not faithfulness to Jesus. I reread the text. She was right. Those were my exact words. And maybe that reveals where my emphasis tends to lie. At this point, we want to introduce you to Murray Colin from Edmonton, Alberta. Josh, one of my teammates, asked him to start by giving a flyover of his time in church leadership. Uh, started out as a youth pastor in Abbotsford in uh, 1977. And so if you want to take it to this many years as today, it's I think 45, 46 years pastoring. We've been the last 20 years as the lead pastor at Gospel Center in Edmonton. Just transitioned out of being a lead pastor. We spent probably five or six years making the plan for transitions. And last uh, February, uh, elected our new lead pastor. My new title is Pastor Emeritus. I have no idea what it means. And I've only been back to work for two weeks, so I'm just trying to find out my new role and where I fit into our church that I've been in for 20 years, but now not leading that church. Now, one of the things that was clear from our time with Murray is that he knew that he knew that he knew that he was called to be a pastor that this was what God had him on earth to do. And he said it many times over the hour that we had with him. I always viewed it as this is my life. This is, this is my life. I just viewed this as this is for life. This is my life. For Murray, this statement wasn't about identity. I mean, he literally handed away the reins of his church. It was about a God-given purpose for him. He didn't pastor faithfully for 45 plus years for any other reason than the fact that he'd been called by God to do so. This same idea came up from Helen, who we heard from earlier. I'm also keenly aware of what it would mean if I pulled back or quit my calling because it was a God invitation. Man didn't invite me into it. God did. And, and I take seriously the cost of, um, yeah, squandering it or not staying faithful to it. Ministry is incredibly rewarding, but it costs. And there are stretches where it can feel disproportionately like cost. So I wonder for people like Murray and Helen, just how much a clear sense of their calling helped keep them serving and leading, even in the times when it felt especially hard. 
Another thing we noticed was that it seemed significant where they put their attention when they thought of their ministries. There was this emphasis and focus on deeper things. I noticed this especially with Murray, that along the way, there was this course correction away from one set of metrics to a different set. Early on in my ministry, I did want to be known. I wanted a big church. Uh, I wanted the notoriety of people knowing my name. And some of that uh, being put on a pedestal where, you know, people call you to preach at a camp or do this. Later on, I began to realize that God's not looking so much for a, a huge church as he is for a healthy church. And so for the last 20 years, that's really been my goal is we want to build a healthy church. Healthy things do grow, but numbers, I'm, I'm very much a statistics person. I can tell you exactly what our attendance was to the, you know, to the, to the uh, number, the exact number, you know, two, three, four years ago. But that's not my big concern. My big concern is I want to build a healthy church and that means building healthy people. I wonder sometimes if we have misconstrued the position as to being all about leadership. And so for a number of years, we talked about how you know, we needed to be leaders and had so many books and seminars on leadership. And that's all good because we need those skills. But I think first and foremost, we're called to be pastors. If you talk to most congregants, yeah, they want somebody who can preach well, who can communicate the truth, and they want somebody who leads well. But they most care about whether you love them and whether you're there in their deepest needs and whether you are approachable and whether you're human and those kind of things. For most pastors in Canada who don't pastor mega churches, what their congregants are looking for are pastors who are real people, who are approachable. They can have over supper. They can go and talk to them. They can have their pastor pray with them, visit them in the hospital. I know it's old fashioned in some ways, uh, but I still think that the relational part of it, pastor to people, is still one of the most critical aspects of pastoring. I think when you do that, it, it changes how you view the role and so it's not so much about what you do, although that's part of it. It certainly has a, a lot to do with who you are. It certainly has a lot to do with who you are. I love that last line. Murray had a perspective of the church and pastoral leadership that made him consider who he was. It seems like his priority of health for his church, his focus on people and proximity to them, made his own discipleship to Jesus and who he was becoming a real priority. For Murray, he saw his pastoral call in such a way that being a real disciple wasn't an optional part of it. It was the essence of it. Okay, you might be wondering now when that new or revelatory piece of insight is coming, the silver bullet, so to speak. And if I'm honest, I was waiting for that too. Interview after interview, is there this one thing, or at least is there something that's going to shock me, surprise me, make me rethink how I see all of this? Nope, nothing. Well, okay, there was one thing that didn't come to the top of my mind right away, but we'll get to that soon. For the most part though, the same time-tested stuff came up. Stuff like making yourself known in community, seeking the Lord, knowing when to say yes and when to say no, resting, and so on and so forth. And it made me think, maybe the invitation from all of this isn't to something burdensome or to one thing in particular. 
maybe the invitation is just to begin building into these habits now. It's a good thing for me to be reading my Bible every day. Yeah. I will never give that up. That's what sustained me these years. This is Daryl again. But in my reading of my Bible, <laughs> am I, in fact, meeting the living God? And am I, in fact, then hearing his voice about what he wants me to do and being empowered by the Spirit to do it? Distraction is the biggest challenge of the spiritual life right now. And I think, it, for me, what has sustained me all these years is the morning hour in the Word and prayer, and then Sabbath. Um, and I, I don't know who to give credit to this, but someone said, it's not so much that you keep the Sabbath as that the Sabbath keeps you. Um, the Sabbath is built into the fabric of, of the universe. Mm-hmm. It works sabbatically. And we either go with it or we pay the price. And um, so we've tried to discipline over the years a way of making sure that there's, there's some form of Sabbath. So I had a conversation last night with a couple of young leaders and we're going to follow that up. I would love to help. I would love to take the journals, that the, the day book, what am I trying to say, calendar? Of course, that's now on your phone. What it gives me, dates me. And just walk that through and say, here is where you say no in order to say yes. And just going to have to shut the thing down. You're going to have to. Because so they're advised five years from now, there's nothing left. Um, anyway, that kind of burden right now for leaders. A similar burden came up when I spoke with Jason. This is him in this next clip. I think this conversation about faithfulness, it can't just be a means to more effective ministry. At some point, there has to be a different goal, and the goal has to be like honoring the Lord, becoming like Him. Because... The things that war against like integrity and faithfulness and endurance, Christ-likeness, are often really good invitations, like opportunity to serve people, opportunities to do more good things. And it's like, we have to find the courage, and I need friends to help me with this, like to say no to acknowledge my humanity, my limitations. Say, like, I don't, like, I'm going to have to say no to some really good things so that I can be around for a long time, loving Jesus, enjoying Him, loving my family and them loving me. Um, and so one of the haunting questions like I wrestle with is like, what have I said no to recently that I really want to do that would be really meaningful and rich and could even be justified as like, good for the kingdom, but maybe just one too many things in my world that would prevent me from actually having the kind of life that produces faithfulness long-term. So it's like this like willingness to, to actually look at our life and say, have I laid the conditions for the kind of life that could bear fruit long-term? Um, and that looks different for everyone, but I, I think for me, um, it's not just saying no to bad things like sin. It's actually say no to all kinds of good ministry opportunities or relational opportunities or whatever it might be because I'm human and I'm limited and that kind of busyness or overwhelm is an enemy of faithfulness. Okay, I want to jump back for a moment, past Jason, back to Daryl. 
Did you catch his first lines? Let's replay them. It's a good thing for me to be reading my Bible every day. Yeah. I will never give that up. That's what sustained me these years. Now that, that simple habit of having a consistent life in prayer and in the Word came up everywhere with everyone. With Daryl, Helen, and Murray, each of the people with 35, 45, 50 plus years of ministry, they all said the same thing. So for the last 20 years, I have spent every, every, every working day, so Monday through Saturday, uh, in an hour of devotions. That's my first thing when I do when I come to the office. I'm here before anybody else. I read my Bible, I'll interact with the book, I, I do journaling, I go into the sanctuary and I spend time in prayer. I think that has been a huge help. And I know you don't notice it every single day, but over you know 40 year period, 50 year period, I think it solidifies you. That was Murray. Now Anne, one of our teammates who interviewed Helen, asked her a question that led to the exact same idea. So 36, over 36 years, if there was anything that would have derailed your commitment to the church, what would that have been? Well, that's a great question. I think all of it would have revolved around myself. Um, it wouldn't have been something that somebody else did. It would have been something that I chose. A lot of people allow other people to pull them out of alignment with the purpose of God. But I think it would have been my own, like if I was apathetic about my commitment to God, my daily practices and my relationship with God, um, my constant seeing God at work. It's its not something big because we dealt with some things that were a bit shocking over this journey that were disappointing, but that couldn't have derailed me. I think the only thing that really could have derailed me is my own lack of commitment to a daily relationship with God. I just don't think anything else would have pulled, could have pulled me out. This all makes me think of the words of the priest and writer Henry Nouwen. He writes this, It is not enough for the priests and ministers of the future to be moral people, well-trained, eager to help their fellow humans, and able to respond creatively to the burning issues of their time. All of that is very valuable and important, but it's not the heart of Christian leadership. The central question is this, are the leaders of the future truly men and women of God, people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness? It was really special being able to meet and talk with pastors like Murray, Daryl, Helen, but we also wanted to interview someone on the earlier end of their time in pastoral ministry, like Jeremiah Niangor. I wanted to hear how he's been impacted as a young pastor by different church leaders falling as of late. What has that felt like? How has it affected his habits today? But that we'll have to wait until next time. Part two of Searching for Faithful Pastors will be available wherever you get your podcasts on Monday, September 26th. In this upcoming episode, you'll be hearing from this same crew of pastors as we continue this conversation on faithfulness, going even deeper into how it's formed in our lives and why it matters so much. And honestly, part two contains most of my favorite moments. Anyway, 
haven't told you about no, that. No, you didn't. That's I could tell. learning new things about each other. I could other. tell it was fresh information. Yes, I could yes. tell. I wish that see, everyone could see the, the shock, the smiles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I worked that through, and, and um, that's what I want for other couples. 